Um, hi friends, if you don't know who I am and why I'm standing in front of you right now, um, I'm Kelly Ravenscraft. I'm the student pastor here at uh, Urban Village Church South Loop. We've been doing a sermon series here on that parable uh, for the last couple of weeks, and it's the story of the three servants who received these talents um, that they were entrusted with by their master. Now, if you have been here, you know that a talent was worth about 15 years of salary, which is a lot to be entrusted with all at once, especially for that five-talent uh, talent servant. And um, I hope today that I might say something that resonates with you. Um, if that happens, awesome. Uh, like Cora said last week, um, don't be afraid to respond not only in worship, but to the rest of the service. So if you hear something that you're liking, can I get an amen? amen. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. Uh, so before we get into this week where we explore the final advice to save as much as you can uh, and be more Christ-like in our spending and saving, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father and Mother, um, Lord, we come to you this morning um, probably off of a couple of days of maybe some turbulent times, maybe some joyous times, maybe um, who knows where, where we have been the last few days, God. But we thank you that you gather us here. Um, God, let it be your words that are spoken today um, as we explore what it looks like to give more of ourselves unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm not sure how all of you were taught how to deal with money. Um, while growing up, maybe it was an envelope system, maybe it was a chore chart. Um, I definitely had that chore chart system. Nice, big, you know. I was homeschooled, by the way, so this is, we're doing it. Um, and the thing, though, that stuck with me every day was this little box. You could show it. Maybe. Does anyone recognize this? Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so this is called a giving bank. It's a relic. My mother definitely bought it from uh, RIP Family Christian Bookstore. There is a slot on the far left for savings with all those nice dollar signs. That was 40% of whatever I got that week. Uh, the slot with the shop in the middle was 50%, and then the church on the far right was that last 10%. Um, when I was a kid, I was really confused why the church only got uh, 10%, and then it got to the weekend where I just really wanted that extra dollar to spend at Sweet Street, which is our local candy store, and realized how hard it was to give even that last 10%. Um, and so if you're thinking this is a good way to teach about money, you can get your own on Amazon for a nice uh, $502. So, um, you know. <laughs> uh, so here we are in the middle of what is supposed to be the season where we spend the most money on food, on gifts, that we show how much we love someone by how much we buy them, that we attempt, in some cases, to buy affection or relationships with money or gifts. 
Two days ago was Black Friday. Um, now the whole deal about Black Friday is that it's supposed to be a deal. <laughs> However, when I go out on Black Friday, I spend so much more than I was actually intending on spending. But it was on sale. Mm -hmm. But I had a coupon. But I wrecked my bank account by buying things I didn't need. Uh, yesterday was Small Business Saturday, where the push is to go from buying from big corporations to local businesses. Um, tomorrow is Cyber Monday, where we get to do all of the spending from the comfort of our couches. Y'all, we don't even have to look good. Not that you were trying to on Black Friday anyway, but still. So, in the midst of all this, how do we maneuver a system built on capitalism and expenses by following Jesus and learning to do what is often the opposite of our culture? So we've been talking about the three servants, right? One receives five, doubles it. Second one receives two, doubles it. The last receives one and buries it. And I feel for this one talent guy. I mean, I didn't grow up in a family that was taught how to invest. We didn't have money to invest. Investing, for me, meant stashing the $5 that I had until Friday so I could invest in my future McDonald's purchase that night. And if we think about the servant's background, maybe he grew up in a different area than the other servants. Maybe he didn't trust the system. Maybe he had tried to invest before, but it didn't work out. Um, I have two older brothers. They are 8 and 10 years older than me. And all three of us have very different approaches to money. Matt, the saver, has extreme self-discipline to commit to achieving certain goals. Uh, for any of you familiar with the Enneagram, he's a three. He's an achiever. He and his wife paid off nearly $80,000 in student loan debt in the first three years of their marriage. They paid for a car in full and then had enough um, by the sixth year of their marriage to put a down payment on a house. Spoiler alert, not that person. <laughs> uh, Jacob, the second oldest, uh, eventually came to realize that he should refocus his savings and spending habits, uh, but at one point had a collection of over 50 pairs of shoes, <laughs> let alone the rest of his stuff. Um, having stuff was his vice and where he was putting his value in for that season. Me, on the other hand, um, I so highly value quality time and experiences that I have nothing to show for my money except for a full stomach and memories because I have been investing in meals with other people and experiences that I enjoyed. I am a seven on the Enneagram. I am the enthusiast, the original FOMO, and if I miss out on an experience just because of the financial aspect, what does that make me? The usual reading of this passage is that Christians are all given different talents, different resources, and we should steward them wisely. The goal is to find out where your talents are and to live into those. And I think this is true. This is a fantastic reading. Um, if we stop there, I think we miss out on some of the other truths that we can get from this passage. 
so if we look at um, what it would have taken for the first two servants to double their money, um, some of you who may know something about money maybe have heard of the rule of 72. Familiar with anyone? Heard it? Maybe? Yeah, I don't know anything about money except how to spend it, so <laughs> this is new knowledge. Um, the way that it works is that the interest rate, so say 5%, however many times that number can go into 72 is how many years it would take to double your money. So 5%, that's 14 and a half years if you're just investing it. However, um, we're not told exactly how long the master is away in this story, just that he didn't give any instruction to the servants of what to do. Statistics show, though, that the risk involved in investing may be one out of four, five, maybe even one out of ten actually make it to doubling that money. The rest lose everything. So, still, both of the first two servants do make double and are well received by their master when he comes back. But what if the story were rewritten and one or both of the servants who invested lost their money? How would that third servant be viewed then? In a time of stock market declines, this guy looks wise. He's prudent, he's careful, he's cautious, right? But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. There would still be value in the servants who were risking. They're living. They're engaged with the world. They obviously invested carefully if both of them were able to double their money. So why, then, did the third servant just bury the funds? Just acting out of fear. He's afraid to lose, afraid of failure, and then did nothing to try. The emotion that drives this third servant created the conditions that eventually led to his downfall. In some ways, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy in that way. So let's kind of go big picture here for a second. Let's look at where Jesus is when he's sharing the story, right? He's gearing up for the last few days of his life before being sacrificed on the cross. I'd say that's a pretty high-risk venture. Um, but if I were to ask each of you, though, how many of you would see your faith as a high-risk venture, how many of you would say yes? Or is it a comfort zone? How do you treat your faith? Have you ever hid your faith, buried it, to make others around you more comfortable? Or have you been risky in how you proclaim the gospel? Maybe there's a couple things inside of you that seem like they're competing, but instead you are showing up in the world as someone who can be both. Here Jesus invites us to be his disciples, to live our lives as fully as possible by investing them, by risking. I started working here with the South Loop team about two and a half months ago, and it occurred to me that most of you probably don't know what I do outside of maybe go out to coffee with you and show up on Sunday. Uh, most seminary students, if not all, who are enrolled in an MDiv program are required to complete some sort of placement at a church uh, as part of their training. 
However, you have to take several prerequisites before you're actually able to enter into the stage. I'm still in my first semester of seminary, just getting started, and I'm actually here just because I feel called to be. Um, I'm not being paid, I'm not receiving credit for this, um, but I knew that I wanted to start get as quickly as possible getting tangible experience working in ministry, especially at a church that does what it says it does. In this way, I'm prayerfully and intentionally investing my talent here at UBC. In order to be able to make that happen, um, I work as a nanny to cover all my expenses. I do not currently have a savings. Throughout college, I had many moments where I could not pay rent or student loan payments on time, or even know if I would be able to get groceries that week. Therefore, I did not necessarily feel like the task of um, showing you and telling you how important money and saving is was necessarily something I was qualified for. See, while I may be investing my time talent here, my monetary talent is one I'm not great at investing. Saving is not my strong suit. Once I have money, I usually spend it because I don't know when I'll have it next, so I might as well pay for my needs right away. Has anyone else been afraid to look at their bank account before? Like, you know, you, you know that you can just do that touch, you know, that touch ID, open it up real quick, but it knows. It knows what you have. Now, this is reactionary, not preventative or helpful. It continues the cycle for me of living paycheck to paycheck. On the flip side, I also indulge in things that I don't need and call it self-care or treat myself because I earned it by being in meetings all day or maybe had a tough day nannying and therefore need that Starbucks or Chick-fil-A on the way home. Mm. Now, neither of those are helpful or honoring to God because that's investing in myself. If you looked at a pie chart of your finances and how you spent them, what would it reveal? Just like how we spend our time, I think what we spend our money on is a reflection of our values. Now, apps are fantastic these days. can also be extremely annoying. They know things about you. If you give them access, they reveal things about you you didn't necessarily want to be called out on. For example, Mint is a great budgeting and expense app that I often download, delete, and re-download <laughs> because I don't want to be reminded of the fact that I'm not the best with money. Um, I actually have my own from the last month up here. If you were to look at that, what does it look like I'm investing in? What am I worshiping? Oh, oh yeah, honey. What am I worshiping with my money? Instead of living simply and living in my means, I am not showing Christ-like savings or investing. I'm not spending ethically in ways that I could be. You can put that down, please. Thank you. <laughs> the servant who received one talent acted out of fear and withdrew from society. Living simply, saving, and spending ethically or Christ-like does not equal withdrawing from society. 
It does not mean that you can never spend money or go out and have a great time. The question is, though, what's our attitude when it comes to spending? Do we really ask questions of what are we buying and why? Do we really need what we're spending money on? How does it reflect your values? Wesley's not saying, save all of your money and never spend anything. We know that to be true even from last week when he says, give all that you can. What he is saying, though, is that we shouldn't be spending our money on frivolous expenses. He says, do not throw away an idle expenses or to gratify desire of flesh. Do not waste. Be content with what plain nature requires. It can be hard sometimes. Um, we've explored, though, over the past three weeks, not only how, how do we engage in earning as much as we can, giving as much as we can, save as much as we can, um, but we also look at how UVC as a whole is doing this. Um, for us here at UVC, saving as much as you can comes mostly in two forms. The first is the time study where we conduct conducted a little while ago that broke down the expenses of the church um, and specifically how the money we spend on salaries is being stewarded as far as what the pastors are actually being paid to do. From this, we've looked at restructuring how the staff is spending their time to reflect the values of the community more closely. We're also working on a staff restructure to make sure we faithfully staff this organization um, and use our resources wisely, not only in terms of money, but the rest of our resources as well. Um, we have a couple of interim uh, positions that are either open or are being partly filled for now um, and trying to prayerfully and um, intentionally move forward with how, how we deal with those things. As a church, as individuals, even with all this intentionality, we can still falter with things like this. We are told the lies that our worth is based on our productivity, that more is better, that money is the answer, and that our purpose is merely to succeed. We're distracted by greed, worry, and need for control. Therefore, a big part of this is keeping each other accountable in our spending habits. I offer to you all to keep me accountable. You've seen exactly where my money goes, don't be afraid to even call me out on that. Try to think for yourself if there's anything that would be hard for you to give up. And not just talking coffee, but also that. Would you be able to give it up if you're asked to? If it would unclutter your relationship with Jesus? Does anything have a grip on you? Even my coffee spending is a selfish reflection of where I put my money and my values. It'd be hard to give up, but if I spent the same amount, uh, 